Hey, hi, hello, my creepy lovelies. Welcome back to the Creepy Cryptid Crypt. I am your host, Black Widow, and this episode is the first in the Highway Killer series. Um, I'm starting chronologically, and for those who have been tried and sentenced. Um, so we're going to do this killer, the trash bag killer. Uh, William Bonin is next, and that one's going to be a couple of parts because there is a lot of information out on Bonin. Um, then we'll go into, uh, what the fuck does that say? Randall Woodfield, uh, Edward Dennis Isaac, um, there are a couple of serial killers up in Canada I'll touch on, uh, and then we'll pop over into Larry Eiler, and then of course we'll have to do a little bit of Eileen Warnos, so those are gonna be serial killers in the Highway Killer series, um, yeah. So we will just jump right in. Uh, I need coffee. Hang on, I'm sorry. Okie pokey. So, Trash Bag Killer, also known as his actual name, which was Patrick Kearney, was active from 1965 to 1977. Unfortunately, somebody brought Patrick Wayne Kearney into this world on September 24th in 1939 and he was the eldest of three sons in his family. Um, in most of the articles and things that I could find, his family life and upbringing were described as, you know, stable, middle class, mostly normal. Um, although being the eldest, he was often sick and frail, and, you know, kids are mean, so as a result, he was bullied, like, all the fucking time, and often beat up. Um, his peers also made fun of him for, like, being queer, because it was reported that his females, oh, no, sorry, I'm still waking up, his friends, sorry, he had no friends, his peers made fun of him for being queer, but at that time, his preferences were female, so they were just being assholes, um, yeah, and, you know, obviously, as most Kids are prone to after relentless bullying and not really having like a good stable support system. Um, Kearney, you know, became a withdrawn teenager and had fantasies about killing his enemies. Um, and apparently, some of these fantasies ended in his enemies being skinned alive. Um, so there's that. And some reports say at this time, so he's a teenager, right? That he's having sexual fantasies of domination and that he started to engage in bestiality at a young age. Um, while Kearney was born in East L.A., he lived in Texas for a period of time. Um, he, you know, grew up. This And this is, like, high-level stuff that I've got on him at this point. Um, he's not going to be as detailed as the information I have on Bonin. Um, lived in L.A., went to Texas for a little bit, came back to Southern California after he had a bad marriage that ended in divorce, uh, came back, nope, oh, I just said that, came back to Southern California and, for work and started work as an engineer for Hughes Aircraft. Um, and so after being back in California for a bit, Kearney started to work on his pickup lines on men. So at this point, his preferences have shifted to men. Um, yeah. Yeah. Da, 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 da. And he was reported as seeking partners mostly in San Diego or Tijuana. And he actually lev 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 words, leveraged, there we go, his ability to speak Spanish fluently to pick up people in Tijuana. 
Um, so yeah, okay, hang on. Coffee, coffee sip. I really hope this mic is plugged in. Hang on. That would be terrible. Now it's plugged all the way in. Guess we'll see how that. that guess we'll see what that does. Okay. Um. Kearney claimed to have killed his first victim around 1962, uh, who was a hitchhiker he picked up around Orange County, California. And between 1962 and 1967, he would claim at least three more victims before moving to Redondo Beach with his lover, David Hill. Um, the relationship with David, you know, was often tumultuous. They would argue a lot. And after or during these arguments, Kearney would just fucking leave. He's like, I'm going for a drive. I don't want to talk to you anymore. I got to clear my head. Um, but instead of, you know, like reflecting and clearing his head on these drives, he used them to pick up young men from gay bars um, or young men who were hitchhiking um, instead. And due to his, you know, his really skinny and frail build, he like had to create situations that would give him the upper hand. Uh, and most times use the element of surprise. So unlike Dahmer and the scorecard killer, he didn't use drugs to make his victims compliant. Instead, he got them into his car and he shot them in the head like immediately. As soon as they're in the car, cars, car doors closed. They're seated. Bam. Shot them immediately. Um, with the exception of two of his victims who were smothered, but his MO, his modus operandi, was mostly shooting his victims in the head. Um, so unfortunately, that first victim from 1962 was never identified by name. They were able to confirm that he was a 19-year-old who was previously hitchhiking, um, which I, we already know, because I already said that. So I guess what happened was he was hitchhiking, Kearney pulled over and convinced him. He was like, hey, I've, yeah, I've got this motorcycle, like, I can take you as far up to, like, India. Kid's like, dope. So he hops on the bike and he takes them to this secluded area of Indio, which is not where they were supposed to be going. But as soon as they arrived, Kearney got off the bike and shot this kid in the head and then sodomized the body. Um, that next note makes no sense. So this first victim, along with the victim number two who I am going to talk about right this second. Uh, actually, were never their bodies are never recovered. They're still out there somewhere. Um, mm. Okay, and so the second victim was Kearney's cousin, who had seen him drive off with the hitchhiker, victim number one. And so Kearney was like, hey, let's hang out, hop on the bike, and took him to the same secluded location just outside of Indio, and then shot him in the head and sodomized the body. Um, I forgot to do trigger warnings for this episode. Sorry, I'm just waking up. Um, well, now you know. It's, it doesn't get better. It gets worse. Far worse. So, if you're this far and you don't want to be here, it's okay. Just click the stop or the pause. It's, 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 these, these, mm, words are very difficult sometimes. So, uh, it's been a while since I've recorded, obviously. It's because a lot of these serial killers that I'm researching and writing episodes on are absolute fucking monsters, and my brain needed a break. Uh, a lot of the things that we're going to hear about in the next few episodes are 
horrendous, terrifying, and it's just words don't even like properly express it. They're they're absolutely fucking monstrous. So trigger warning. It doesn't get better. I'm gonna take a sip of coffee to let you know, let you exit if you'd like, and then we will come back to Patrick Kearney, the trash bag killer. Fucking piece of trash himself, gosh. Okay. I wish nope, that's not gonna make any sense. Okay. Uh Kearney killed his cousin because he saw him with victim number one. Unfortunately, his cousin was only 16 years old. So it's just not, not good, right? And I'm kind of going to, I'm going to skip ahead for this part because the only reason, not the only reason, more bodies were found and recovered out of Kearney's confessions. Um... So that's kind of where most of this information comes from. So I'm going to go straight to he's been apprehended and this information is coming from um, trial and his direct confessions. Um, so here we go. So, okay. March 13th, 1977. Wait, that doesn't make any sense. Hold on. Mm, 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 mm. Okay, wait. Hold on. I've my notes are all over the fucking place. Uh, that's what I get for doing text to speak notes. Okay, this information is not from his confession, but it is important because it relates to Kearney's lover, David who also partook in some of these murders. So I'm going to start here, and it's going to be out of order, and I would apologize, but I don't fucking care. So, March 13th, 1977. John Otis LeMay, 17, told his neighbor that he was going to Redondo Beach to go meet a guy named Dave, uh, his new friend that he had made at the gym. Like I just said, Dave is David, who is Kearney's lover. Okay, all coming together. Uh, LeMay arrived, but David wasn't there yet, but Kearney was, so Kearney invited him to hang out and watch TV. He went straight to their house, which is not a good idea. Don't do that. Um, when David got back, Kearney shot LeMay in the back of the head, dismembered his body, and then hid it in the desert. LeMay's remains were found on March 18th, and the police had already been to Kearney's home because that was the last place he had, you know, told somebody he was going to be at. Um, so they've already been there. They found the remains, and police were informed that, you know, they did, people did in fact see LeMay, David, and Kearney all together before, so the police were able to issue warrants on June 3rd. But Kearney got wind of it somehow because somebody in his family must have fucking snitched or something, and he took David, quit his job, and they fled to El Paso, Texas. After a little bit of time, their families were like, you guys got to come back. You got to turn yourself in. Like, this is not boding well for any of us. Like, just, just come back. So they come back. They surrendered to the Riverside County Sheriff's Office on July 1st. And David was cleared of any involvement. Uh, 
I'm not going to speak too much more on that because I don't know, you know, and I don't want to assume how involved he was. So just, you know, make your own judgments. Uh, David was cleared and released. Kearney remained in custody, giving a full confession. Ah, yes, now these notes make sense. Okay. Uh, during the confession, he admitted to 28 murders initially, but would then admit to seven more a little bit later. Um, and he did this to avoid the death penalty. Uh, and as a result, he was charged with 21 counts of murder and given 21 life sentences. Um, and that's because those are the murders that they had physical, physical evidence to charge him with. So it wasn't just, you know, circumstantial. Although police are certain that Kearney was responsible for the other seven murders that he admitted to. But again, they didn't have the evidence to charge him. Um, as of last year, he was still incarcerated in California's Mule Creek State Prison. I'm sure he's still there. I will check at the end of this episode before letting you all back to your daily lives. Um, so now, now, okay, he's been apprehended. Because a bunch of people saw LeMay go to his house. They knew he was going to be there. They got the warrants. He surrendered, blah, blah, blah. Now he's in police custody. He's confessing to a bunch of fucking shit. Sorry, none of this is all just like, I have to stop recording in the morning. Because this is just terrible stuff. Okay. The first murder he confessed to was around Christmas of 1968, and the victim's name was George. George had been lured to Kearney's vehicle in San Diego. After he was in the vehicle, he was taken to Kearney's home which was on Van Buren Avenue at this time. Uh, at the home, he shot George in the head, dragged him into the bedroom, sodomized the body, and then skinned and dismembered the body with an X-Acto knife. And Kearney also took very careful steps to remove the bullet in the victim's head. Uh, George's remains were recovered on July 8th of 1977 after Kearney told them where they could find him. Uh, he didn't kill again until 1971, because um, remember that first one was in 1968. Uh, okay, this one, he murdered 13-year-old John Demchek, who was shot to death. Uh, as time went on, you know, Kearney started to refine his M.O., like many serial killers do, allowing him to carry out the murders more frequently and more efficiently. So by, you know, 1974, he's going at a rapid pace. He's picking up victims off the highways or at gay bars. Uh, and once his victim was in the vehicle, he'd shoot them in the temple just above their ear with a Derringer 22 pistol in his right hand while driving the car with his left. After shooting them, he would drive them to a secluded area to sexually violate bodies. Once he was done with that, he would mutilate and dismember the remains, most times with a hacksaw. Um, and typically, he would leave the parts of the remains in industrial trash bags. Um, he left them in canyons and landfills, but mostly along the highways or the desert. Um, so that's where we get that trash bag killer from. 
some reports that I found said that he, he, you know, he would try to, and he did in some cases, uh, drain the victim's blood to eliminate any body odor. Um, and he, he, you know, would bathe the bodies to try to get rid of any of his, you know, DNA. Um, sometimes Kearney said he would beat his already dead victims to relieve himself of suppressed anger and to feel powerful as he picked victims that resembled his childhood bullies. His victims ranged in age from 8 years old to 28 years old, and during his confession, he detailed which victims he smothered and which he shot. He said he disposed of some remains so thoroughly that they wouldn't be able to be recovered. Um, you know, and... Sorry, my brain is buffering. Wouldn't be able to be recovered. Uh, the the years that he's active, right? So it, it's 1960-whatever, 68-1977. So he went undetected for so long for a number of reasons. That the police are already overwhelmed. They've got the scorecard killer out in that same area killing people. There's a ton of other serial killers that are also loose at the same time in a small, concentrated area. So you already have regular crime plus regular murder with a handful of serial killers who are just like running through southern LA doing whatever the fuck they want in a bunch of different jurisdictions so you've got a bunch of different cases that are open in several different uh law enforcement agencies then you got to bring the FBI in and they've got to try to fucking figure it out so there's a lack of resources and a lack of communication between departments which we know used to happen a lot it's not they're more likely to share now to, you know, work together. Um, so there was that, but there were also very few leads. Not a lot of people had seen Keone do this. I mean, as David was released, I have to assume based off of the information that we have that he didn't really know what was going on. Otherwise, maybe Keone would have been caught faster. Um, so for those of you who listened to the Scorecard Killer episode, you'd know that Kearney's trash bag victims were almost attributed to the scorecard killer because they were dumping in some of the same areas. Well, he was dumping where scorecard killer was picking up and throwing people out of his car. So, um, yeah, hang on, let me look. Move and look at the map. I can tell you how many, how many serial killers are running around at the same time. Sorry, I'm in my office chair. Oh. Yeah, you know, okay, so, hold on, let me do this so I don't have to yell at you. Alright, so we've got the Scorecard Killer, the Skid Row Killer, Rodney Alcala, the original Night Stalker, Hillside Stranglers, fucking the Trash Bag Killer, that's what I'm talking about right now. Like, all of them. It's a big red dot on my map, I'll post it on the Instagram. They're all active at the same time. And they're crossing a lot of different county and city lines. So the cases are getting popped around to all these different departments. And when you've got a bunch of different MOs and a bunch of different dump sites, like, it's hard to pick them together because, you know, you've got the scorecard killer who's dropping victims in the same place as the trash bag killer. And then you've got the skid row killer who's killing in the same spots as, like, the Night Stalker. But the MOs are totally different, so... It was not a good time for it just existing. 
in that area of Southern California. Also, just it was hard to be a cop. So, um, now I am going to read the victims in chronological order. I'm going to skip the first two because we've already covered them. And so I'm going to start with victim number three. Um, so victim number three was known as Mike. He was age 18. He was shot in the back of the head and sodomized post-mortem. George, um... Didn't really know his age. I don't think they could tell from the remains. He was killed in December of 1968, and he was recovered on July 8th, 1977. Um, he was shot in the head while he was sleeping and then put into the bathtub in sodomized post-mortem. Police found his skeleton with Kearney's direction after his arrest. And then we have John Demchek, like I just spoke about shortly uh, just a short while ago, 13, murdered June 26, 1971, recovered February 9th, 1973. He was shot to death. James Fletcher Barwick, age 17, murdered September 22nd, 1973, recovered on the same day. He was shot in the back of the head. Uh, sorry. This one is very bad. Uh, Ronald Dean Jr. Smith, he was five. He was murdered on August 24th, 1974, and recovered on October 12th, 1974. He was one of the victims that was suffocated. Albert Riviera, age 21, murdered on April 13th, 1975. He was found the same day. Um, he was shot in the head, taken to Kearney's house, sodomized post-mortem, dismembered, stuffed into trash bags, and disposed of in various locations. Larry Jean Walters, age 20, murdered October 31st, 1975, recovered on November 10th of the same year. He was shot, sodomized, postmortem, dismembered, put into trash bags, and disposed of in various locations. Uh, Kenneth Eugene Buchanan, age 17, murdered March 1st, 1976, recovered April 7th, 1976. He was shot in the back of the head, sodomized, and then shot three more times. Oliver Peter Molitor, age 13, murdered March 21st, 1976. His remains were never found. Um, Oliver was picked up while he was hitchhiking. He was then sexually assaulted, shot, dismembered, and buried in various areas of uh, the Palo Verde's landfill, based off of what Kearney said. Uh, those landfills are massive, and I have no doubt that it would be very difficult to find the remains. Larry Armendariz, age 15, murdered April 18th, 1976, recovered the next day. He was shot in the back of the head, sodomized post-mortem and dismembered. Michael Craig McGee, age 13, murdered June 11th, 1976, uh, shot in the back of the head, sodomized post-mortem and dismembered. Um, this body has not been recovered, I don't think. John Woods, age 23, murdered June 20th, 1976. He was found a year later. He was shot to death. Larry Espy, age 17, murdered in 1976, found August 23rd, 1976. He was shot in the back of the head, sodomized postmortem, and dismembered. 
Wilfred Lawrence Faherty, age 20, murdered in August 1976, recovered a few days later. He was also shot in the back of the head. Randall Lawrence Moore, age 16, murdered August 1976, recovered uh, October 10th, 1976. He was shot in the head. Timothy Brian Ingram, age 19, murdered September 15th, 1976. He was recovered a few days later. Um, he was shot in the back of the head while he was sleeping, and his remains were thrown down a ravine. Robert Benefiel, age 17, murdered in fall of 1976. Um, he was Picked up while hitchhiking, shot in the back of the head, sodomized post-mortem, dismembered, and dumped in various locations. David Allen, age 27, also murdered in the fall of 1976, um, shot in the head and left on the side of the road. I'm going to pause for a second. Some of these are very general because Kearney could not remember exactly when he murdered them. So, just, there's that. Um... Mark Andrew Orash, age 20, murdered October 5th, 1976. He was shot in the head. And then the last few victims of 1977, uh, Nicholas Hernandez Jimenez, age 28, murdered January 1977. He was shot, dismembered, and wrapped in trash bags for disposal. Arturo Ramirez Marquez, age 24, murdered February 26, 1977. Shot, sodomized, postmortem, and dismembered. John Otis LeMay, age 17, murdered March 13th, 1977. This is the guy. This is the guy. Because he told people where he was going and people had seen him with Kearney and David, this man is the reason that Kearney was caught. So, yep. And then the final victim was Merrill Hondo Chance, age 8, nine, uh, murdered April 6, 1977, recovered May 26, 1977. He was smothered, sodomized, and then dumped off of the Angel's Crest Highway. So that's a lot. And 25 lives were taken prematurely. Uh, and like I've said, you know, there's likely more victims out there. And, and some reports estimate that Kearney is responsible for at least 18 to 20 more murders. Um, and it's just not... It's just a sad, sad, terrible thing that this man did. Um... And so that's the first of our Serial Killer series off of the Highway series. Let's go see if we can track down where he is now. Oh, what the fuck is that site? Creek. State Prison. Should be able to look him up. Do not want to know about the warden. What are you going to tell me anyway? Mm, Gavin Newsom. <laughs> Fucking asshole. <sighs> Population. Inmate locator. There we go.
Yep. There he is. Still there. Still there. <sighs> yep, so there you have it. Um, there's not as much detailed information on this episode as there will be on the Bonnet episode, and that's due to several factors. Um, a, what's available without me paying a bunch of money to go find more stuff. B, um, uh, the reports are kind of hazy between his stuff and some of the other serial killers, so a lot of it is, you know, super high level. And, um, yeah, those are basically the only two reasons, so. Thank you for joining me here at the Creepy Cryptid Crypt. I am your host, Black Widow, and next time we will be kicking off the multi-part series of the serial killer William Bonin. It is heavy, it is dark, and it is long. So, prep yourself. And until next time, okay, goodbye.